In times like these, being a citizen is a big job. Thank you for joining us to celebrate the virtues of self-rule and debate the state of our republic. Welcome to the Citizen's Prerogative Podcast. This is the voice of your nerdy host, Michael Piscatelli, and we are blessed with a co-host whose passion for our republic precedes him everywhere he goes, Raymond Wong Jr. Welcome to the Neuron Superhighway. <laughs> this is episode number 34. We are going to wrap up Back to Basics, and we're bringing back natural remedies to help us ease into the wrap up of this thing because where ray and i left things at the end of the last episode felt unwrapped i think there was a lot of angst we we were not happy we continued the episode after the end of the episode and we didn't even record it for behind the scenes so we apologize for the waste but uh we definitely wanted to come back and stress that there is a need to better understand why natural remedies work, a better focus on why we're pushing in this direction. And it's all about the brain. And really the only thing that matters, our whole existence, who we are, you know, everything else is just a case. Your whole body is just a chassis, uh, which controls a, a, a uh, or which holds or is the um, overlay, if you will, to protect these neurons and that squishy little brain in your head. So your existence and, and how you uh, navigate this, this finite life is extremely important. And the existence of those little uh, wires and the neurons in your brain and how they fire, how they, how they, what order they fire in, and if they fire is very important. Very much so. Thank you for that, because you ignited many of my neurons in what you were describing. Um, so you gave me another path to talk about the brain. So as you can tell, we had more to cover. We're going to start with the brain. And we were where we left things off, we were talking about decriminalization, recreational use of um, various chemicals, but it goes beyond recreational. And that's the value proposition we're putting in front of you today. As Ray said, everything you've ever experienced and everything you ever will experience has been brought to you by your brain. That's it. You know, you don't, your eyes bring you light, your ears bring you sound, your skin brings you touch, and then your olfactories bring you smell and taste. These are all sensors. Your body is a starship. Those sensors tell you what's happening outside your starship. Your brain is the only place where anything you ever experience actually exists. That's where your perception is created and maintained. And the brain is a complicated, hungry component of our bodies. So we've talked about, you know, or in, in past episodes, I know I've linked to things about um, fat and fat storage in our bodies because it's paramount to continue operating the brain. It needs lots of energy. Psilocybin, let's bring it home. Let's bring it to some, some drug action, some magic mushrooms. Why are, why is magic mushrooms, why is psilocybin such a big deal in the realm of neuroscience and psychology and everything we're studying around treating depression and other 
mental maladies, so to speak. What we're finding about psilocybin and its effects on the brain are quite stark. They're quite amazing. And anybody who's ever had a positive experience ingesting mushrooms should be able to identify with it. Now, environment's a huge factor, especially when you're experimenting with chemicals that you don't have experience with, or as a society, we don't have a lot of general knowledge around because we've chosen to make these things taboo rather than to study them, rather than to bring knowledge to bear on these things, right? We've kept them behind a drug war, which is crazy. But anyway, we're coming around to it and we're coming around to the values of these things. And one of the amazing things that mushrooms does and why it's helping people, you know, excuse me, who are going through chemotherapy or, you know, life traumatic events, scientists are helping their mental health with psilocybin. It is a chemical that creates connections in your brain that aren't normally there. So your brain has lots of different regions. It has to communicate among all of those regions to do um, all kinds of various things from thinking to moving, to walking, to speaking, to your memory. It's all, all controlled in there and it's all transactions among neurons. When humans ingest psilocybin and we study it under fMRI imaging and then you know, you've got people who are uh, psychotherapists and stuff like that studying things on the outside, we're also studying the inside of the brain. We can see neuropathways light up. We can see connections made that aren't made before. And why this makes a difference is because it changes your perception. Anyone who ingests these things, it changes your perception of reality. And it's interesting because what emerges is pretty consistent. It's connectedness. It's a greater awareness of connectedness. And that's fascinating. And, and Ray, I'm sure you'll, you'll take the connection there too, to how mushrooms actually operate in the natural environment. <laughs> They're oh, a great gosh. connector. Well, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, I guess you go there. I, I wasn't necessarily, my brain wasn't in that spot, but I, I do want to stress that the, the mushroom is the great connector. It, in nature, we show that um, the, the largest organism on the planet, which would be the redwoods, uh, which exist, they use the mushroom as a way to transmit neurons. Uh, they, they use them for communication. So mushrooms are, and, I, and it's basically the same stream because I was going to come in and say, Michael, that you know we have to understand that mushrooms are an origin point. It's a natural heritage of, of where life came from. So they've been around since the beginning. They're one of the originals, right? Mm -hmm. uh, there is a, the mushrooms have a place, but again, like Michael was saying, um, there are mushrooms that help, um, help the trees either transmit uh, um, messages to other trees. It is insane. So really yeah. look into fungus. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a really exciting thing. Uh, but what I want to stress to people is that you've heard things like those old sayings. So let's go with the non-psilocybin method, which is attitude is everything. Attitude is everything, right? How many times in your life have you heard attitude is everything or you build a bridge to get over it, et cetera, et cetera. Fake it till you make it. 
fake it till you make it. Yeah, those are all examples of how we activate those neurons or how you change your attitude or people use scripture and religion, however you do it, where you wake up in the morning, instead of saying, I, I don't like my job, I don't like this, I feel this way, you actually change your attitude. And all of a sudden, you've got a new frame of mind, you've got a new attitude. Um, but I think that sometimes relationships help. I think it's a good example, right, Michael, when you when you meet someone new, and they completely change your way of thinking. And, they, and maybe you were a different person when you met that individual. I'm not saying that the mushroom is a relationship. But what I am saying is that very few things are powerful enough in your life to get your brain to rethink and realign itself. Fox News, relationships and psilocybin seem like the only things powerful enough to me. Everything in our reality is a matter of perspective. And, you know, the, the, the focal point of your perspective is what feeds those things. And like you said, you know, do you wake up focusing on the negativity or do you wake up focusing on the positivity or the things that you might be grateful for? And that's why gratitude practices are so huge for people because a gratitude practice develops a habit. It, it wears that neuron route in your mind of focusing on the things I have, the things I'm glad that I have. I have my health. I have the love of someone. I have, you know, whatever it is, right? I have two legs. I have two eyes. I have two ears. I can taste. I can smell. I can hear. I can run, right? I've got lungs that work. I've got a heart that beats. Like there are so many things to be grateful for that we don't have a habit of focusing on. So not to say that chemicals are the end-all be-all. I mean, our environment is the end-all be-all. Um, but at the same time, we all know that our ability to influence our environment in our lifetimes is somewhat constrained by certain aspects of reality. And our whole podcast is all about changing the aspects of our reality that is making it more conducive for us to be happy, productive, healthy, confident, interactive humans. Um, but bringing it home to the mushroom. And yes, it's old, it's amazing, and it's connective, and it, and it transfers not just information, and information is amazing, but what we discovered even before information was nutrients. Um, so we could see the mycineal network, as it's called. So if you were going to do research on the internet, you might look up the mycineal network. And that is all the mushrooms connecting the roots of all the trees. And it communicates with the trees. It knows which, it helps other trees know which trees are sick, which ones are healthy, where to divert nutrients. And, and it makes us realize that it's a whole connected organism made up of different parts that we didn't recognize. We see just different parts. We didn't understand the connectedness. When you look at the human body, it's very similar. We have very different components inside this body. Okay. I mean, I'll go all the way to the cell. I mean, there's a, it's a fascinating thing how this soup operates when you learn about mitochondria and the fact that our cells host an organism that once evolved and lived outside of our cells. <laughs> Somewhere along evolution, our cells said, hey, that thing knows how to make power. It looks great. Let's pull it inside. And now we are built on these cells that you know are a system in and of themselves. So anyway, everything's a system. Everything's a system built on a system. 
And it's important for us to understand it in order for us to have any modicum or sensibility of control, if we want it, at least to know what our options are. And when it comes to psilocybin and any kind of potentially mind-altering chemicals, we should know about them. We should understand these options, and we should be able to avail ourselves of them. We should be allowed to fully utilize our brains. And not get hooked on some legal stuff. I mean, the problem here, I mean, I'm not saying it's perfect as well, but what we're saying here is that these are natural remedies as close as you can get to a natural approach to healing yourself and caring for yourself. These drug companies are creating things that are introducing unnatural chemicals. They've, they've pushed the limits of what, and, and by the way, they're not new chemicals. It's the same chemicals they've always had. that They made into a new cocktail and marketed as a new drug and has all of these terrible side effects, right? So why can't we stop that craziness with the pharmaceutical industry and get back to more naturalistic remedies? Probably because they are too effective probably because they cure it, right? Instead of keeping someone on antidepressants for the next 30 years, which we're in an epidemic. I was listening to a study where um, we now have an entire generation who is addicted to opioids and medicine. You know, they're, di- mm. they're addicted to, to antidepressants, et cetera. And that's just what's going on right now because, and, and, and by the way, it's because they can sell that they can control it. They can trademark it. Guess what they can't control and trademark? Nature. Yeah. Yeah. And you'll see that across the board. I mean, patenting corn, <laughs> um, you know, yeah, these pharmaceutical companies, they, what's really difficult about it going into the next phase of our existence here on earth is that these companies are going to get smarter and better at targeted therapies. And so if we aren't critical in re-examining our relationship to these companies and how much we trust them or don't trust them to actually solve real problems, um, we're going to be in a world of hurt because they're getting way better at doing what they used to do as time goes on because of genetics, genomics, and all that stuff. So it's like if we have a sick relationship with that industry now, it's not going to get any better. It's one of the things we really need to examine critically. So the best example of that is it's not necessarily related. It is because of natural uh, push, but recycling, right? Like recycling, you will start a great debate if you bring up recycling and how it actually is not effective. And it really is just a ploy by plastics to make you feel safer using them and hurting the environment. But the bottom line is recycling is one of the most successful propaganda efforts we've ever seen. So corporations think they're prime. They can pull it off, right? They did it with recycling. They can do it with medication and, and, and numbing us down for the next 20 years. Mm-hmm. And nutrition labels. Yeah, nutrition labels are pretty funny. We count on them. We think they mean something, but mm, just like the recycle logo, it's more of an invention of um, you know, of marketing than it is of science. Yeah. Um, so on that note, keeping track of the time, let's have a break. Here's a message from our sponsor, Citizen Do Good. Even though you've heard it before, it's still true. The war is never over and every battle counts. 
I know you are tirelessly demonstrating good citizenry on the daily through actions and words, and you donate your time and money to causes that count. Thank you. The time is now to deeply re-examine our current implementation of governance for the dawning of a new day. We are a proud sponsor of the Citizens Prerogative podcast, a major partner in spreading the good word about civic love and the power of change for us all. At Citizen Do Good, we want to empower all citizens to participate in their republic in a reconstructive way. With that goal in mind, we need your help to stay on mission and grow this community. Please rate the podcast with five stars on iTunes through the app on the web or on your device. If you don't feel you can give us five stars, please let us know why on our sponsor's Facebook page, Citizen Do Good. Also, make sure you join the newsletter at citizendogood.com. You'll get updates every couple of months on all of our antics, not just the podcast. While you're there, check out the shop, which has specialty merch and provides a way to make a one-time contribution that helps us pay for production and for hosting. Feel free to share any suggestions you have with us directly through the Contact Us page. Thanks for your support. I think that um, we got into a conversation about uh, being rewilding and being more natural. Um, and this is where Michael will, will tell you that I, I tend to be more, I am not communist, but he worries about my communist ideals because I am for, you know, the vertical farms. I am for hydro, hydroponics and I'm for mass production. I, I'm a big automation guy. I love robots. I love cars. I, so I, I'm not saying that for me, um, technology has been a downfall. I've had to push back right against technology because uh, I was really into it. The phone had me. I was highly addicted at one point. Um, I would say that I was the person that was being coached by people saying, oh, it's rude to use your phone at the table. And now people have accepted it, but um, I did take that feedback and I backed off and all that sort of thing. So I'm in a different place with technology, but um, I, I'm pro-technology. I like hydroponics and things like that. But Michael shocked me because he, he spoke to maybe hydroponics isn't the right direction. Maybe that's moving us too far away from the natural solution. And, and it shocked me because I'm just like, feed the world hydroponics. So Mike... Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. So this is a, this is a philosophical debate. Um, you know, we're not talking about any materially hard lines that we can draw, but Ray and I are always trying to add precision to our language and concepts and the ideas we throw out there because the world is complicated. Um, and anybody who gives you a simple answer or tries to address something in a simple way is, you know, obviously ignoring certain aspects of things. Um, this is why science is so problematic in the space of of the public, um, be <laughs> because sometimes a summary just doesn't cut it. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, that's a long-winded way to get around to this whole idea around technology being, you know, a tool for us to use, and depending on how we use it, it it really is in um, the cause and effect there. So when we use tools to do things, to accomplish things in a way that leaves the world more conducive to life, we're okay. So that's kind of a rule we're trying to carry forward. And I think I stole that from Bioneers. But that concept that like once we've executed something, are you know, did we are we leaving things in a state that's more conducive to life or is it more 
less conducive to life? Have, have, are we destroying the earth or are we creating a better place? So in any case, just to bring it home, you're talking about hydroponics and, you know, really the root of this is where, where do you draw the line between natural and unnatural? Where do you draw the line between mechanization and, you know, human product artisanalness, right? You have mechanized automation and you have artisan artisan product <laughs> in a way. Um, this isn't a future debate, right, Mike? Because no. we have seeds today that kill themselves, you know, like self-terminating yes. seeds. Uh, yeah. It's happening. This is a huge issue. So Archer, Daniel, Midland, ADM, Cargill, any of these big names that you may not know very well. Yeah, they've taken genetics. They've, in a lab, genetically created, you know, a new type of, or however, whatever processes they use, they've created a new type of corn, soybean, something or another. And it's patented. The reason why they've patented is the particular genome they've created or methodology that creates that genome can't reproduce. Like Ray said, normally you plant a plant, it grows fruit or seeds or something, right? And then you can collect some seeds and you can replant those seeds so that you have another plant to eat from again. These things are genetically designed not to do that. They're designed not to fruit with seeds that can reproduce. These are one generation plants, the purpose of which is to keep farmers dependent on those seeds every year, every single year. And I'm going to digress one more sick thing about this, which has been out there for years and still doesn't get press, is the fact that if one of those seeds blows, one of those, any one of those things happens to make it to your farm and you didn't buy those seeds, but your neighbor's farm bought those seeds, and however it comes over, they find it on your property. And funny enough, they do have people looking on people's property. If you have something detectable from an ADM genome or a Cargill genome on your farm, they can come after you. They will sue you. They will sue you for not having paid for the seed. Even though you you didn't plant it, how are you going to plant it? Um, so that the only reason why I bring that up is because it shows it goes to the extreme degree. Somewhere in a cubicle office, there's a group of people whose sole job it is is to make sure <laughs> that farmers who aren't using your seed are properly harassed, so that they come to you and get your seed, so that they can end the harassment, and then they pay you every year for your seed. <sighs> That is the most unnatural system, the most unnatural system you can possibly imagine. And it's how a lot of, I don't know if it's necessarily how a lot of our food is grown. It's how a lot of crops are grown, though, in the United States. A lot of crops in the U.S. aren't grown for food. We waste all of our soil and we have all this runoff into our rivers and we have these algae booms, blooms for the purpose of ethanol corn or high fructose corn syrup corn things that have to be processed in a, in, a, in a factory. They can't be eaten. We used, to, we used to plant things on farms that we could eat. Okay, I'm done with the digression. Well, is it a digression? Because, you know, they, there's a saying that if you, you know, if you, if you don't treat your food like medicine, 
then mm. medicine will become your food, right? So that's because Ooh. if you don't take care of yourself, you don't eat the right things, eventually you're going to have to live on these chemicals and these taking all of these pills. But this is the best situation for corporations. And so I- That's perfect, I, Ray. I'm sorry, I have to cut you off because they yeah. are designed to be patented. They are not designed to be nutritious. And that's a huge, I mean, I'm getting goosebumps when I think about it. It's designed- to be patented, not to be nutritious. Like I said, it has to be processed, but even food that you would eat is not going to be as nutritious. And chances are you're going to need some pharmaceutical at some point. So, so, I mean, this is what we're, so here we go back to, so um, originally, you know, what is the line for natural? So I think that what is, where do you stop? And so Michael and I were getting down this path of where do you, what's acceptable, how, how far do you push it? And, and hydroponics came up as an mm-hmm. example because for the most part, the hydroponics, ex- ex- it's a sterile environment. And, and Michael brought up that maybe we should be encouraging natural pests, a naturalistic environment. Yeah, thank you, Ray. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, when we were having this discussion, hydroponics, hydroponics ended up being so far the line it's the line on which the fence is drawn. <laughs> um, so on one side of the fence, on one side of hydroponics is like super organic, natural, growing everything outdoors in the soil, maybe raised beds, um, versus being inside the hydroponics environment, which is essentially a sealed environment. you know. And then the hydroponic aspect, if people aren't familiar with this process, It's a great process for growing lots of vegetables and fruits and things of that nature. And it's basically just suspending roots in water and you put the nutrients that are needed for the plants or the nutrients you want in the plants, you just put it in the water and the roots pull it out of the water. Um, And you're not dealing with soil. You're not dealing with, you know, pests related to soil and all kinds of things like that. But the position I was presenting here, okay, let me let me just give the definition we talked about as natural versus unnatural, and then we can talk about hydroponics. So we're throwing out there the idea of natural is using natural processes um, like natural selection to genetically engineer within the environment natural processes that we're here to begin with. So we've talked about cows. We probably have talked about wheat, you know, farmers over successive generations. So everything we have that we eat today is genetically modified. It's been genetically modified since Mesopotamia. And when we say genetically modified, it just means that we've been encouraging higher yields. Like we plant the plant and and the plants that had the highest yields, we kept those seeds and we planted those seeds over successive generations. So over successive generations, we've bred these massive wheat plants and we've got these cows which didn't used to exist before us, dogs, we don't eat them. But um, in any case, you know, you can see where there is genetic manipulation. There is genetically modified. I'm going to use air quotes there. But that's using natural selection. That's using the natural processes as evolution would have used them. We're just creating a new environment to select what we want versus What's very unnatural? Unnatural is a process that's been mechanized by human engineering, and it's usually using processes aimed at patenting and mass production. 
That's uh, that it's unfortunately, I mean, your definition of, you know, that natural selection, hydroponics takes that away, right? Every, every plant's going to have a fair shot within, and without any type of disease or, or pest, et cetera. Um, yeah, and I, and I think you're right. Hydroponics ends up being a, um, I'm going to use the word sterile environment. It's not, but it's an environment where we've heavily controlled it. We are not allowing natural selection, you know, kind of unmitigated and it unmitigated. I'll use air quotes, but here's the alternative. Take it out of the greenhouse, put it in the soil and what is truly organic, like end to end organic is finding predators, natural predators for the natural pests. So a huge issue we have also with major farming is pesticides. They're not only patenting ADM, Cargill, them. They're not only patenting these things for the purpose of controlling them, but they're patented because they're designed to survive the pesticides that these companies create. So you have, you buy my, you know, you buy the seed from this company and then you buy the pesticides from that company. And so you can plant that seed and you can spray their pesticides and those pesticides aren't going to affect the plant. But guess what they're going to affect? Bees, you, me, water, and the ocean. <laughs> and we're learning that the hard way. <clears throat> Excuse me. So organic says, take it back to the land, plant it in a raised bed, go get some praying mantises or whatever, you know, is the natural enemy of the natural pests to those plants. And it's more work and it's not mechanized. It's, it's, it, I mean, this is called the action time. And uh, we really wanted to do this episode to make sure we had clear call, call to action. So in a sense too, to be say that, I think we all need to start practicing this. We need to start competing with big, vegetable i don't know what to call it right now but but we have to we have to start competing with and it's interesting because now i'm even thinking hydroponics is cool you know but maybe hydroponics if i do it on my own right is cool only but this global scale it's like i feel like we're trying to turn vegetables into office workers now lettuce <laughs> patches into into cubicles right like yeah i i, I we're, we're they're trying to do the same corporations are going to do the same things they do to us trying to march us into those sterile environments with the offices um well not with corona they're not so sterile uh but and then we have this situation with the plants so it's interesting and i think I think there, that is the solution. We already see it with gardening going on with these empty spaces in cities, but I really think us doubling down and just like natural, um, uh, sustainable gardens throughout our, our houses and our yards and competing and not buying food from big vegetable would help. Can you imagine if you knew your farmer? <sighs> If you actually knew your farmer, that would be amazing. Some people have the opportunity to do that. Um, yeah, it's call to action. I mean, as far as citizens are concerned, 100% where your dollar goes. So you can, you can leverage the capitalist mechanisms that we have available to try and influence change. But there's another way to do it too, which is related to the farm bill. Um, I haven't pulled up any information on this, but it's just something I've, you know, I've keep tabs on for decades now. And I highly recommend 
anybody who's interested in food and food policy in the United States, we have something called the Farm Bill. And that's just the generic name. I don't know. I'll look it up for the show notes. Um, and it's like, I don't know how ever, ever so many years, because uh, Congress always has to reauthorize the Farm Bill. And I think they always do it like X number of years into the future and it comes back up. And it's always controversial because the Farm Bill is the systemic mechanism in our republic through which we favor Cargill, ADM, et cetera, et cetera. The government, the way it pays, because make no mistake about it, we've been subsidizing farms since the 1800s in the United States. We've always supported farming in the United States. And if for no other reason, just because we need to be able to feed our own people, we can't be relying on rice from China, right? Or food from Europe or, or things like that, because we've been through world wars. And, you know, you want to uh, air quotes, oh, globalization is going to tie us all together and keep peace in the world. Well, we can see that's not the case. Um, there's a lot of other bad side effects to the version of globalization that we've distributed around the world as well. But for you, watch, watch where you're, you know, where you're getting your food from, um, that it's healthful. And I'll, I'll find some more information for us related to the farm bill. Um, because that in, in and of itself, it's a huge, besides the military budget, I think the farm bill is the next biggest thing. I mean, Medicare, set that aside. It's, it's insane. And that is where our priorities go as a nation, where our tax dollars are going. And I'll tell you right now, it is not supporting small farmers. The law, the way is it set, is not very helpful there. And if we wanted to move more towards sustainability and we wanted to move towards healthfulness, then the farm bill is a really good way to start. I think that's going to wrap it. I think so. You can't. I think when we get back to basics, you can't get any more basic than that. We are farmers at our roots. We said this on an early episode. We started there. We need to. I think you know. Go you eat think some about mushrooms. reset. Go, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Go eat some mushrooms. But I mean, that's what you got to do, right? Reset. Do a great reset for yourself. Do a great reset for your family. Think about where we came from, which is all farmers from the African continent, all farmers, that's what we did. That's how we survived. That's where it began. Check it out. We have been your hosts. Thank you to Mr. Raymond Wong Jr. And thank you, Mr. Piscatelli. It's truly been a non-sterile environment. It's been something, that's for sure. For information on this and other episodes, head over to citizendugan.com and click on podcast. While you're there, hit up the contact us page and leave a comment. We'd love to hear from the community. Special thanks to you, our listeners. We save the best for last. You are the best and you have been for years. Thank you for your support. We know it's painful and we love you. Intro music sampled from OK Class by Ozzy Jock under Creative Commons license through freemusicarchive.org. Other music provided royalty-free through Fizzly and Studios, Inc.